Welcome back. We are here for session two, podcast two, here in the Southwest Church of Christ uh, studios. And uh, Jeff and I are practicing social distancing, That's talking right. to each other from six feet across <laughs> the table. Can you hear me, Jeff? I can hear you. All right. Um, last week, or, or last week, or last uh, last episode, what we talked a lot about some of the introductions, some of the high level concepts that uh, we find in the Minor Prophets, or at least the first half of the Minor Prophets, mm-hmm. uh, the the ones that were ministering more in the Northern Kingdom timeframe. Uh, today, we're going to jump in and talk a little bit about some of the historical context and try and highlight some of the interesting and relevant parts of the history of the ancient world as they pertain to the message and times of the prophets. Right. Uh, but before we do that, how are, you, how are you guys doing? We're doing good. It's, uh, you know, been a, definitely a, a challenge. Uh, I think a lot of people are learning, you know, it's it's hard enough to change little pieces of your daily routine, but when your whole daily routine gets upended and suddenly you've just got to create a new normal, it's... Uh, I think it's it can be challenging enough, and then you throw in you know kids and and everything else. It's uh, it's it's been interesting. <laughs> I think is a, a nice way to put it. But overall, it's been uh, it's been good. It's I think for us, it's been a blessing. As much as I've traveled the last you know couple of years, it's been nice to just be at home with the family yeah. and you know get to enjoy the kids a little bit more and. You're, so. you're, you're going to be at home for a little bit still. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think Marie appreciates the help. Yeah, How about right. you guys? Oh, we're, we're doing well. It's kind of interesting. You know, you go, um, one of the things I realized going to other countries is you start to learn about what's common to just people yep. and what is specific to your culture. You, you really don't learn that staying home. Right. And I, I kind of feel like this experience or this, this kind of the social distancing, the quarantine, the isolation, uh, it's kind of reminding me like, well, you know what, you know, there's lots of things that keep going on. I can still talk to my mom on the phone. You know, we can, we can still have conversations and we can still study the word and God is still here. He's still active. Yep. Uh, all that stuff is actually not that different. Yeah. Uh, some of the, some of the ways it shows up is a little different, but, um, you know, it's just a reminder of what does stay the same, even though everything is changing. So. Yeah, Absolutely. But uh, it's been it's been good, and it's uh, I'm glad we've been able to to get together to to work on this too because it's been nice to have something to focus on and and I've just I know we talked a little bit about this in the last episode, but I've just been so amazed as we've gone through this just how relevant so much of this is for for today, uh, and especially in light of everything that we're we're going through. Um, you know, not not so much the the judgment piece. I mean, I think there's there's definitely something to look at there. Uh, I'm not at the point yet where I'm standing on the rooftop saying, you know, uh, the end is near. But uh, but yeah, just so many of the themes and just the way God calls the people back and uses tragedy time and again to call the people back to him, to look to him in times like this, in times of trouble. Uh, and so that that message that we'll we'll get to see over these next uh, several weeks uh, is going to be, I think, encouraging. I know it has been for me, and so I hope it is for those of you that are listening. I think I think that's right. And and. That's one of the reasons why we wanted to dig into the historical context today is to take a look at what was going on in the Northern Kingdom, especially also the Southern Kingdom, and then as well as the Assyrian nation, which has a lot to do uh, with a number of these prophets, what was going on there, um, how they were uh, prospering or not prospering. And it's easy when you read through the Bible to kind of just focus in on what happens with the Israel kings and, and everything. But we have, it's important also to remember that Israel's affected by the nations around them in much the same way that we are today. You know, mm-hmm. uh, they obviously depended on them for trade. Um, war was definitely an, an international thing uh, back then. Um, and then there's, there's lots of cultural influences that were also another uh, tripping point for Israel in particular. But 
understanding what's going on in the world around them at the same time that these prophets are ministering is, is an important dimension or layer to add. Right. Um, yeah, I think it really helps set the context for some of these books, and it really helps draw out a lot of the meaning. Um, but I think it also, too, it, I've been just fascinated as I've been studying some of this. Uh, there's so much of that history uh, where it's it's real tangible things that you can see. You can, you know, go to a museum and see some of these, you know, stellas that have this, you know, information from the Assyrian kings. And it mentions, you know, some of these artifacts mention guys like Ahab, and it mentions some of these, you know, cities and places, and uh, especially some of the later kings in uh, Israel and Judah uh, by name, you know. And it's just really neat when, you know, a lot of people approach the Bible as just, you know, this book of stories. And, you know, there's definitely some pretty amazing, fantastic things that I understand, you know, why some people struggle with. Did Jonah really get swallowed by a fish? Um, but then when you see time and again, all these other facts that are verifiable, it just, it, to me, it's one of those faith building exercises where, uh, you know, it's, it's just really amazing to see all of the, you know, the evidence that's out there that supports that these are real people, real events, real things that happen. So, uh, I think that that's one of those pieces that I, I hope, you know, as you listen uh, to this episode, that you can gain some of that knowledge and insight. And, and, you know, as you do approach these texts, then over these next several weeks, start to see some of those uh, people and places for what they were, which is real people and places, uh, which, you know, just kind of to put it into context for us today. You know, if uh, Jonathan said that, you know, he was going to pack his family up and move to Texas to plant a church. We would look at that and be like, okay, yeah, Texas, you know, Bible Belt, lots of Christians down there. All right, you know, you 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 go do that. But on the flip side, if he said he was going to pack up his family and go to Iran and start a church, uh, we would have a very different set of feelings and emotions attached to that. You know, knowing the implications, the dangers, um, questioning his sanity. You know, we we would probably pack differently. Too. <laughs> yes, yeah. that's true too. Um, and I think as we approach these prophets we can start to understand that some of the the places where they were, the people they spoke to, the messages that they had, uh, it's important to understand the context just in that same way where, you know, knowing why it was significant, why it's recorded in the Bible. Uh, it, it also, as we look at some of these prophets themselves, uh, we start to understand the personal risks they took. They We understand that, you know, and we're not going to get into the, the major prophets, guys like Jeremiah, but you know, Jeremiah struggled a lot with, you know, being alone and just kind of, you know, isolated and nobody else believing him. Uh, you know, imagine d devoting your life to trying to, you know, bring Christians into the body and just not bringing anybody in. But God tells you time and again, just keep speaking. They're not going to listen, but keep speaking. That's right. You're not going to be <laughs> successful most right. of the time. Yeah. But uh, it, you can it, still be faithful. Yeah. So uh, I think it's going to be interesting as we, you know, talk about this uh, just to kind of see that. Um and then the other piece, too, with that is uh, looking at, you know, there's Israel, there's the prophets, but then some of these surrounding nations, too. Uh, it's important to see. I know for me it's tempting when you get to some of these oracles where they start talking about, you know, Tyre and Sidon, you know, or Damascus or, you know, whatever, you know, the different people groups. It's very easy to just kind of gloss over, not really pay attention. Like, I, I don't know why we're talking about the Edomites, the Moabites. Uh, but under, as we as we go through, and we won't hit on all of those those groups today, but just understanding that. God did interact with these nations, at least in the sense that, you know, he, he didn't have a covenant with Moab, but he still was willing to judge the Moabites for their wickedness and their evil. Uh, and I think that's important for us to understand as a nation today, that we may not be the nation of Israel, but God does still hold us accountable as a nation, uh, you know, to, to be a light to the world. So I think that'll be something that we'll continue to look at. Um, 
and a few things I always, you know, I, we, we'd like to try to encourage you as we go through this uh, to do some additional digging and studying. So some of the resources that we drew on for this particular episode, uh, of course, the, the Bible Project, we mentioned that last time. Uh, in particular, the Bible Project, uh, their one on the Old Testament that covers the Book of Kings, does a really good job of talking about the, the history of this period, uh, all the different kings and uh, how that kind of plays into this time period. Uh, another resource, if you can get your hands on the Anchor Yale Bible Dictionary, it's pretty fat. I think it's like six volumes. It's almost more of an encyclopedia. Uh, there's also some uh, companies that have digital copies available, but that's got some phenomenal information on some of these different uh, people groups and kings. Uh, and that's kind of what I leaned on for the dates. Uh, when we talk about some of these dates, you know, understand that if you pick up six different commentators, your you know commentaries, you're probably going to see six different estimates for when this king ruled and when that king ruled. Uh, so I just went with the Anchor Yale Bible Dictionary just to, you know, to keep things kind of consistent. Uh, but that's pretty fascinating. Uh, if you're not really into reading uh, and you like uh, YouTube stuff, uh, I stumbled across this series. It's called History with Cy, C-Y. Uh, if you uh, throw that into YouTube and search, uh, he does a whole bunch of videos on Near East history. Uh, so he's got like a nine-part series on Assyria. Uh, he's got some videos on Babylon, just the Mesopotamia region, the Hittites, uh, just a lot, a lot of stuff like that, which, uh, and they're only about 10 to 20 minutes long per video. Uh, so if you want to nerd out on some of this stuff, like I did, um, <laughs> that's a really cool thing, uh, resource that's out there. And then the other one that, uh, I found utterly fascinating, uh, Dan Carlin's hardcore history. Uh, it's another podcast. I think he only does like one episode about every six months and they're like three hours long and he probably spends six months just researching this, uh, it's incredible just the, the depth of research that he goes into. Uh, but he did one series called King of Kings. Uh, the first uh, part of that, he talks about Cyrus the Great, uh, which as we'll see, this, you know, this is towards the end of the exile. But he spent a lot of time building into that with all the other kings and some of the, the kings that we're going to talk about. Um, I will caution you, though, if you listen to that one, uh, the Assyrians, the Babylonians were pretty brutal. And he details some of the brutality that they did to their prisoners you know, that we have documented uh, so I, I realized that as I was listening around the house with the kids wandering around talking about like whacking people's heads off, like, dad, what does it mean to decapitate somebody? Like, ah, listen to that later. Uh, but that's another, uh, ask, if, go ask your mother. Yeah. <laughs> if you got a few hours to kill, um, Dan Carlin's hardcore history podcast on the King of Kings was, uh, I thought very fascinating and he does a great job with it. All right. So let's, let's jump right in. So let's start, uh, kind of towards the beginning, the beginning of, of Israel as a nation, um, and the seeds of that, which are back in the Abrahamic promise that God gives to Abraham. Um, there's references to it starting starting back in Genesis 12. Uh, I know Genesis 15 is a big example of that, but uh, you know God promises a, f- a few things to Abraham. He promises mm-hmm. that there'll be a nation and uh, that, that the, I think this is where it says, more than the stars in the sky, sand on the seashore, uh, yep. be numerous nation, um, and that he would give him the promised land. And important to um, the part that I'm particularly excited about is that the his descendants would be a blessing to all nations, right? And that's a pretty common theme. That's something that I think some of the prophets and that some of the Israelites had forgotten. Jonah, in particular, forgot or uh, didn't like this part about being a blessing to all nations. Uh, right. We saw that in his attitude towards Nineveh, but um, that that is a repeated. Thing. It's not just once in Genesis. I think it's like at least five times in, in the book of Genesis when it talks about the promise. 
it talks about him being a blessing to all nations. Right. And I think with that is the expectation that as, you know, God's chosen people, uh, you know, the promise that he made with Abraham and the promise of the land, there's an expectation that Israel is going to follow the covenant, which was later established through Moses. Uh, so that's one of the other major themes that, you know, you'll see throughout the prophets is, you know, there's these prophets are reminding the people of God's promise to Abraham and, you know, what the expectations were that went along with that. Uh, and that's really articulated when they talk about keeping the law of Moses. Because, uh, you know, if, if you've read through the law of Moses, you know, pretty much starting from Exodus 20 with the Ten Commandments and then on, you know, that there's a, a Leviticus, Deuteronomy, uh, there's, you know, you see all these elements in there, uh, you know, covering everything from ceremonial law. There, there's the civil law, you know, how to deal with, you know, when somebody's, you know, ox damages their, you know, neighbor's property or something like it gets into that kind of civil law. Uh, but then also per perhaps more of what the prophets look at is when it gets into the moral law. Because, uh, you know, you'll see as we go through this, you know, like there's times where the people are keeping the ceremonial law. They're doing the stuff at the temple. Um, but when it comes to the moral law, the heart, uh, actually the way they're treating one another, uh, you know, they, God's calling them out for being utterly corrupt. Um, and, and the prophets really do a good job of pulling out um, this, this idea that it's not just about following the rules. It's not just about looking good on the outside or being, you know, at the temple during the or participating in the, in the ceremonial feasts, that there's this relationship that God wants. He wants our whole hearts, and He yep. deserves our whole hearts. And that He's not going to be fooled if we try and just look like we're following Him. Right. We need to really follow Him all the way. Um, that, that's that's a common theme that we'll, we're going to find throughout the prophets. Yep. And then also too with the law of Moses too is this idea that it is a covenant. Uh, this was uh, a covenant that God made with Israel. Uh, in Exodus chapter 24, verse 3, that's where the people actually, um, you know, where the people come out and they say, you know, everything that the Lord has spoken, we will do. You know, we will keep the law. Uh, the people said that with one voice. Um, they entered into this covenant with God. Uh, but we see at the end of Deuteronomy in chapter 30, I won't read the whole text, um, but if you want to go read Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 through 20, this is where you know, Moses, you know, speaking on behalf of God is kind of laying out there like, you know, God is giving us a choice today, life and good, death and evil. And essentially he says, if you keep the commandments, if you follow God, uh, it will go well for you. You know, you'll stay in the land, God, you'll prosper, God will take care of you. Uh, but if you turn your back on God, if you turn away from him, uh, then uh, it will not go well. <laughs> and then this is what we see in the prophets is, you know, the people... Uh, turning back, you know, against God, rebelling against God, uh, violating the covenant, and God basically sending these prophets to remind the people uh, that, no, this was a covenant, and you're not keeping it, and so this is exactly what God said would happen. Uh, you're going to get kicked out of the land, and it's it's not going to be pretty. So having those, uh, the Abrahamic promises and the law of Moses, um, if it's been a while since you've studied those, um, I know in particular, like on the, the law of Moses, the, the Torah, uh, there's a Bible project video that's pretty good. Uh, so you can go dig into that just to have some, uh, context, uh, if it's been a while since you studied that. So we want to, I want to highlight Exodus 24, three, um, it says Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Yep. <laughs> and as we go and we talk about, uh, particularly in the book of Hosea, I think we're going to have a whole uh, podcast just on this the concept of marriage as demonstrated in Hosea. This is really the, the wedding ceremony that happened right there at Sinai. And this is kind of the, the part of the, the wedding ceremony where 
like the husband and the wife say, I do to each other. Yep. You know, they said all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Right. And just, <laughs> so this is, this is that part of, of that um, analogy. Yeah. Yep. So then, uh, you know, that's, those are kind of the big context themes, but, you know, I, I think it's helpful now to just kind of run through a quick history. Um, you know, not getting all the way into Genesis and Abraham, but really starting, you know, so there's, we talked about Moses, the law, uh, and then, you know, next you've got the conquest of the book of Joshua, where they come in, they take the land. So Moses fulfills the nation promise, Joshua fulfills the land promise. And then that's followed by the period, the book of Judges, uh, you know, which if Joshua was conquest, Judges was chaos, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, and it's, it kind of sums it up the, the very, very last book of Judges, uh, or the last verse in the last chapter of uh, Judges, uh, you know, that kind of sums up the whole book where it's like in this period, just everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Uh, Israel had no king. They just, you know, everyone did what they wanted. Uh, and, but even through that time, God was still faithful. And time and again, he sent the judges, uh, raised up rulers uh, to draw the people back. Uh, and then, of course, this was followed by, um, in First Samuel, the people decide they want a king. So now you have this period roughly from, you know, 1051 to 922 B.C. You have Saul, followed by David, followed by Solomon. Uh, but you have a unified kingdom. Uh, Saul kind of pulls them together. When Saul dies, there's a little bit of a struggle between David and uh, Saul's son, uh, but ultimately David prevails, un unifies the nation, and then Solomon, uh, you know, kind of takes it even farther. But then that's when things start to go downhill very quickly. <laughs> Rehoboam uh, has some poor counselors, uh, I guess, is, is part of the story. And uh, because of some decisions he made, he... Um, really tried to, to uh, tighten the screws on Israel, and hap most of Israel, 10 of the tribes, just rebelled and went and formed the northern kingdom. Jeroboam was their first king, and Jeroboam was a prototypical bad king from the north. If you, yep. and, and if you look throughout, you know, like uh, the kings, first and second kings, constantly the, the, the kings of the north were said to follow in the footsteps of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and they are... Uh, and primarily what that means is worshiping the golden calves, the two golden calves that Jeroboam set up in the northern kingdom. He didn't want his people having to go down to Jerusalem to worship, so he made an alternative, and this was really detestable in God's eyes and kind of a prototype for theirs, just like David is a prototype for the kings in the south. Yeah, and it's really interesting, um, you know, because the particular prophets that we're going to look at um, don't necessarily deal with the uh, Judah, with the southern kingdom as much, so... Uh, this uh, on this episode, we're really going to focus on the kings up north in in Israel. Uh, but it's interesting where when you follow the the kings in the south, they're all uh, every one of them, uh, with I think one exception, um, every one of them is one of David's you know uh, offspring. It's one of his you know sons, grandsons. Uh, you know, so you've got this line of David, and David's the benchmark. You know, they did all the things that God commanded, like his father, or they did not father follow right. in the ways of David. Uh, but then it's interesting because when you look at the North, um, the North has very few dynasties like that. You don't see, you know, it starts out with Jeroboam, um, but then, you know, essentially after Jeroboam, you've got a period over 25 years where there's five different kings. Uh, and it's, you know, Jeroboam's son is assassinated uh, by Basha, and then Basha's son is assassinated by Zimri, and then Zimri's uh, ousted in a military coup by Omri, you know, so whereas in the South, you have this Davidic kingdom, you have this line of David, uh, you have, you know, the family, the heritage, the history. Up North, it was just a free-for-all. You know, there there was no, you know, clear, like, yep, you're the line, you're, you know, one of the, you know, I don't know, 
one of Dan's, you know, grandsons or, you know, pick a tribe, Ephraim, Manasseh, um, nothing like that. It's just chaos. And just think about what it would be like to live in that kind of a political climate yep. um, where there, there there isn't necessarily order. You don't know from month to month if the the, the way things are in your country is going to radically change because yeah. someone got assassinated and we have a new king right. or um, whatever else happens. And there's got to be a lot of uncertainty. And um, that, uh, unfortunately, the Northern Kingdom didn't turn to God right. in the face of that uncertainty. They they trusted in, in other things. Yeah, and that's, that's one of the things I find interesting as you look at the overarching history up north is that element where... Um, you know, I mentioned that period after Jeroboam where you have several, you know, kings, assassinations, changing hands, um, lots of um, just upheaval. Uh, and then you have a little bit of stability when uh, I mentioned, you know, Zimri assassinates Basha's son. And then you have this coup by uh, the head the commander of the armies of Israel, which is Omri. Uh, and you have then he developed a little bit of stability with his family, the, you know, called the, the Omride dynasty. Um, they're the ones that established the capital in Samaria. Um, and as you'll, you know, if you're not familiar with Omri, you've probably heard of his son who is Ahab. Uh, so Omri, you know, did a pretty decent job, but then Ahab, you know, he really, I wouldn't say he brought peace. He definitely didn't bring peace. Uh, if you think about it, Omri being a military general, um, I think his dynasty was definitely one that was marked by a frequent war with up North with Aram a lot. They, they warred a little bit with the South. Uh, they did try to build some alliances with Judah through marriage. Um, that's this really weird thing. It gets a little confusing reading through because a lot of these guys have very similar names. Um, you know, you've got Joram in, uh, in Israel and Jehoram in Judah. And uh, Joram's dad was Ahaziah, whereas Jehoram's son was Ahaziah. And they were, you know, intermarried between, you know, Ahab's daughter, Athaliah. Um you know, or there's some question, was it Ahab's daughter or his sister? You know, we it's just, like war and peace. You need, you need to it, have a list of all the characters so yeah. you can remember who, who's who, right? Yeah, yeah. It, would, it would make a great BBC, you know, <laughs> special about, you know, intrigue and, you know, oh, they're marrying off the maybe, queen's maybe daughter. Maybe it has or already. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's interesting because you have, starting with Jehoshaphat in Judah and Ahab in, in Israel, you do have this period where the, the north and the south really do make an effort uh, to try to you know, at least, uh, ally themselves, you know, to, you know, stand up to some of their neighbors and things like that. Uh, they try to make peace. And you see that as you read through Kings where, you know, um, Ahab's going off to war and he'll ask Jehoshaphat to go with him or Jehoram, you know, going off to war. Um, so, and it was actually Ahaziah get, uh, he's killed when Joram's killed because they're off, you know, going off to war to get, and that's when Jehu comes along, uh, and slaughters everyone. Uh, but, but yeah, so it's, it's this really interesting period, um, which again, just kind of skimming through things in Kings, it's easy to kind of overlook, um, some of the things, the dynamics in the, in Israel at that point. Uh, but even though you did have some consistency now and that you've got this ruling dynasty, as I mentioned, it was a time of frequent war. Uh, they were one of their strongest militarily, um, but they were constantly at war with their neighbors. Uh, they were at war with Assyria. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but this is also when you see the rise of the first really significant prophets, which was Elijah, followed by Elisha. Uh, and, you know, they're kind of outside of the scope of this class, but it's really interesting. You've got right in the middle of the book of Kings, kind of at the end of First King, uh, the beginning of Second Kings, all these stories about Elijah and Elisha and their kind of exploits dealing with Ahab and, and his uh, family. All right, so we're almost up to the point where the prophets that we're going to be talking about 
are um, active and one of the but one of the stories to really uh, pay attention to, particularly related to Ahab, is the story of Naboth's vineyard that happens in First Kings twenty one, mm-hmm. and that happens in a town called Jezreel that is right on a um, uh, just a little bit south of Galilee, kind of the southern part of Galilee, a little below the Sea of Galilee there, and um, it, it's in First Kings twenty one. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, please uh, go go check it out. Uh, Ahab, at the encouragement of his wife Jezebel. Um, basically covets uh, a man's land, and uh, Jezebel arranged to have him accused falsely and killed, and then Ahab goes and takes possession uh, of the land. So, And because of that, there was a prophecy against him that, that his blood would also be uh, licked up by dogs in Jezreel, which comes to, happen, comes to pass pretty soon. And um, this, I, I, I want to bring this up and highlight this because this is an important part of uh, the story of Hosea and, and the mm-hmm. prophet Hosea and, and his uh, biographical uh, life, which I think we're going to talk about the next podcast. So, yep, yeah, and that uh, that uh, Jezreel, uh, that city, uh, does play an important part going forward, and you see it referenced in the prophets because it was, you know, there was initially Ahab's sin of you know killing him, and then it was Elijah that comes and you know declares from God that you know you're gonna you're gonna die here, the dogs are gonna lick up the blood, and you know all your family, you know God's gonna cut off your line because of this sin. Uh, and then when that prophecy is fulfilled with Jehu, uh, who's the one that comes along and wipes out the Amri dynasty at that vineyard and that plot of land. That's right. Uh, and then Jehu, you know, then goes overboard and just, you know, it's just one of those things. Once you start killing, it's really hard to stop, I guess. It, he's very zealous. <laughs> yeah, very, very zealous. And, That's and part of that story you invite someone to say, come, <laughs> come with me and see my zeal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so we'll get to Jehu in a second, but I want to pause here and just kind of mention, you know, while we're talking about Israel, it's important to kind of pause and look at what's going on outside of Israel right now, because there's some significant events going on that are building into what's eventually going to take place here. So meanwhile, in Mesopotamia, you've got, um, while the Amri dynasty, you know, and Ahab and uh, his sons are ruling in Israel, uh, Assyria is coming into power. Uh, Assyria had been a, you know, significant player in the region off and on uh, for you know, going back to like, I think 1250 BC. Uh, but they'd kind of been in a period where they were just, you know, struggling like everybody else to make ends meet. Uh, but while Ahab's in power, you have this period, um, they call it the Kala Kings, C-A-L-A-H. Uh, and this was a, a period of um, some pretty strong kings um, that started to expand Assyria's rule and started to, to look outward. This is some of the stuff I mentioned with the history that's really fascinating to me anyways. Uh, like one of these kings, Shalmaneser III, uh, he actually, it's documented, he, as he was trying to expand the empire, uh, the, the most uh, resistance that he met was from what was called the Damascus Coalition, uh, Damascus being the capital of Syria. Uh, but one of the uh, players or parts of that uh, Damascus coalition was Israel and Ahab. Uh, in particular, I remember hearing about how uh, Ahab and in Israel, like their charioters, you know, the chariots and charioteers or whatever you call them, <laughs> uh, they were some of the best in that, you know, the the number that they brought was one of the factors that made it so difficult for Assyria uh, to push their empire out that way. Um, and it was, so I mentioned Shalmaneser III, it was his grandson, Adad-Narari II, that eventually um, destroys Damascus, uh, and then, you know, he also, going the other direction, is uh, taken over Babylon. So Babylon's not even a thing right now. They're just a, a vassal of Assyria. 
Um, and you have evidence from, you know, uh, Adad Narari, you know, because of his control in that region, we have evidence that both Jehu uh, in the north, the king in the north, and uh, King Joash in the south are actually paying tribute. Uh, and some of these uh, stories are mentioned in the Bible where it says, you know, uh, the king, you know, one of the kings uh, in Israel or wherever, you know, pays all the silver to Assyria. Um, that was them paying tribute and, you know, trying to make an alliance. Um, so you see a little bit of, of this cropping up in the Bible um, where they start to uh, interact with Assyria a little bit. But then you have this really interesting period where um, after Adad Narari II, uh, things start to fall apart as they were expanding their empire out in Assyria. Uh, they weren't doing a very good job of shoring up things on the inside. And so you have this period of about 40 years where Assyria is really just kind of like a shell of an empire. Um, they, you know, you've got a bunch of like localized warlords kind of running different provinces, but they're not unified. They're not expanding. They're just kind of there. And it's in this period that two pretty important kings in Israel rise to power. And that's in the north. It's... Uh, uh, Jeroboam II, and in the south, Isaiah, uh, sometimes called Azariah. And if you look at them, uh, Jeroboam reigns for 40 years, uh, which is, it spans this period where Assyria is kind of weakened. Uh, and also note, as I mentioned, that um, Assyria destroyed Damascus, Aram. And it was Aram that uh, Ahab was constantly at war with up in the north. So Assyria kind of sets up this period of peace and prosperity when they just kind of collapse from the inside. And so that's where we come across Jeroboam, and that's where we start to encounter our first literary prophets. And so that uh, we want to highlight in 2 Kings 14, verse 25. Um, it says that, that uh, Jeroboam II restored the border of Israel from Labo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from gath -hefer. So, so there's Jonah. Yeah, Jonah Jonah was right there, and this would have been a prophecy that Jonah would have loved about <laughs> right. Israel expanding its boundaries. That's a, yep. I mean, <laughs> who who doesn't want to be uh, given that that prophecy? So yeah, um, and that, but this is also the time uh, where Jeroboam the second his reign is mentioned in the ministries of Hosea, Amos, um, Micah, Isaiah also starts his his prophetic career uh, at this time. So this is really there's a and it's kind of interesting that. There's been a lot of uh, struggling, and but these these literary prophets are all coming on the scene in a time of relative prosperity. Yep, and I think that's something interesting to reflect on. Yeah, and that that's one of the things to me that I never really had considered um, before this study. But you know, you look at the period before where there's just all this back and forth and war and just all sorts of stuff going on. It just seems like the people really didn't get a chance to get a breath, and you know, they were just uh, constantly. I think there was, you know even going back to judges, constantly turning to God when things would get difficult and when they were, you know, when they're, you know, you'll read about periods where, you know, Aram is laying siege to Samaria and there's famine and stuff like that because the people can't, you know, and it's just like people do in those times turn to God and you see guys like Elijah and Elisha coming along and helping and, and delivering the people. Um, but it's, it's, things get really, really bad in this period of prosperity when they're finally, you know, have had the, you know, the, the boot of Assyria removed from their throats, so to speak. Um, what do they do? Well, they prosper and they just get really, really rotten from the inside. Um, and that's important, I think, for us to think about because 
if there's anything you can say about the United States today, it's that we are a very prosperous nation. Uh, we have peace and prosperity in the land. I mean, yeah, you can look at some geopolitical stuff going on around the world today, North Korea, China, but for us, like we're not worried about, you know, the Canadians marching over and attacking. Uh, we're not worried about, you know, having to worry about getting shot, you know, in the streets or anything like that. Like we, we have peace. Uh, we have one of the most prosperous economies. And so I think this is important for us to recognize as we get into these profits that um, just like Israel, when they were in a time of peace and prosperity, uh, they turned inward. They, they still did the religious acts. They still went to church, but they did not use their peace, their prosperity and everything that God gave him to glorify him and to be that light to the nations. They just use it to, you know, for the rich to get richer or the fat to get fatter. Um, and so I think we need to pay attention to that and recognize that the, you know, the climate when these guys, uh, as you mentioned, Jonathan, Hosea, Amos, Jonah, Micah, Isaiah, when they're coming in and prophesying, this is in that period of peace and prosperity. And that's also, I think, explains why the people just thought they were nuts. You know, like a series. Everything, everything's good. What are you talking about? Yeah. There's no problems. Here. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, one And one of the things that is a consistent or, or a repeated admonition from these prophets is that the people are not attributing the the success and the prosperity to God. They're right. attributing it to other things. Yep. Uh, uh, you know, but into Baal or or uh, you know, their own military strength or whatever. There and that's that's something specific for us to kind of keep in mind when things are going well in our lives. Do we recognize God as the source of that? Yep. And uh, or do we say, oh well, I must have be really smart to have this happen to me, you know, or whatever. Yep. Um, so that, that, that's a, a warning, I think, that we can see from the prophets. And we'll get into that in more detail, too, as we're specifically going through some things. Yep. So um, yeah, God sends the prophets to try and, and correct, uh, to, to kind of cure this rottenness, mm-hmm. which he is yearning to do. Uh, but as we mentioned before, uh, it's ineffective. The, the people yep. don't listen. Uh, the prophets don't have a very rewarding, fulfilling career right. uh, as far as um, enabled to turn the people um, it's rewarding, I think, from God's point of view, but not, not necessarily. Um, they didn't uh, affect change, I guess, and right. at least not in the north. You did see some of the the prophets in the south. You did see a couple of periods where they, you know, there was a revival under you yeah. know, Hezekiah, Josiah. That's right. Um, but yeah, the north, they just laughed at them. You know, at, at best, they laughed at them. At worst, they persecuted them, uh, and there was no change. And so. And then, you know, after this period of prosperity under Jeroboam II, then, you know, you've got four out of the next five kings, I think, are assassinated. Um, some of them rule for two months. I think one of them uh, rules uh, Menachem is about 10 years, um, uh, Menachem, if you will. Uh, and so it's during this period of turmoil. So after all this peace and the people are starting to feel pretty good. And I mean, 40 years is a long time, you know, that's especially in, you know, these these days and ages or back then, you know, it's yeah. for a lot of people that would have been over ruling. a generation, that's, that's over their entire life. That's yeah. all they knew. Um, but then it's in this period of turmoil in Israel that Assyria then has a resurgence and it comes under, uh, this guy by the name of Pul Pulu, uh, depending on where you look at, uh, who would eventually be renamed after conquering, reconquering Babylon. He got the name as King of Babylon as, uh, his new name was, uh, Tiglath Pileser III. So you've probably heard that name before, uh, especially if you've read through first and second Kings before, uh, because he pops up a few times. Um, I mentioned, uh, Menahem, uh, he pays tribute to Tiglath Pileser when he comes through that's in second Kings 15 and, uh, verse 19, uh, Ahaz down in the south actually solicits 
uh, Tiglath Pileser's help. Um, and that's when the North, uh, they decide to attack Judah. Uh, I think they had aligned themselves with, uh, uh, the North rather had aligned themselves with, uh, Syria. And so then they go down to try to sack Jerusalem. Uh, and so Ahaz, uh, king of Judah reaches out to Tiglath Pileser the third, uh, and asks for help. He pays tribute and, uh, Tiglath Pileser, because he's kind of fed up with Israel and, uh, Syria anyways, uh, decides to come wipe them out. And that's the point where, uh, Damascus is destroyed, uh, and then large parts of Israel are conquered. And you read in 2 Kings 15.29, that's the first exile up north. Uh, So you see lots of people going out, but the north at that point doesn't fall. So uh, Samaria, their capital, is still standing. Uh, It wasn't until the uh, next—I don't think it was quite the next king, but Shalmaneser V, so I think that was uh, Tiglath-Pileser's grandson. Um, I'd have to double-check on that. Yeah, no, actually it was his son. Sorry. Um, That's why you got notes. (laughs) Uh, But he's the one that actually comes through and destroys uh, the north uh, and actually destroys Samaria and then sends everyone else into exile. Um, One of the things about Tiglath-Pileser that we know from history is he was one of the kings that started uh, deporting people. So they kind of learned, the Assyrians kind of learned that, you know, if you just come in and conquer a people, um, they're going to rebel. And they experienced that a lot with Babylon. Um, you know, they'd, they'd conquer Babylon, they'd rule over Babylon, and then some guy in Babylon would kind of raise up and, you know, pull together an army and then try to kick them out. So what they discovered was if you take the inhabitants of a city and pack them up and exile them somewhere else, um, throw them in a new place. They're not familiar. They don't have any ties to the Spread area. Spread them out, scatter them. It crushes morale and it just, it really defeats, you know, uh, any sense of, you know, trying to get an uprising. Um, and so that's why up North, I mean, they were completely scattered. Uh, the North never recovers. Um, and even later, you know, this, this gets into New Testament history. That's why there was such animosity between, uh, the Jews and the Samaritans. Uh, because the Samaritans were kind of seen as these half-breeds. They weren't really Jews because they had been sent out, intermarried, and mixed in with all these other people. Um, and that was all done under this period um, of, of conquest of Assyria. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, it's kind of an interesting period. And, and the other reason why I thought it was important to bring Assyria into this discussion is because we're also going to look at two prophets. You already mentioned Jonah, uh, but the other one um, that we're going to look at is uh, Nahum. Because Nahum ha- is interesting in that he's he's the one the other prophet that's going out and prophesying to Assyria and, and going and he's foretelling uh, the fall of Nineveh. So it's kind of interesting when you look at everything that's going on. You know why we have in the Jewish Old Testament text a prophet talking about Assyria, talking about Nineveh. So we'll we'll and get God, into that. God cares even about the enemies of His people. Yep. Um, yeah. So we'll we'll and, get into and in that the more. book of Jonah, he also cares about their livestock. Right, just, just <laughs> blows me away. Um, Even the and, many cows, <laughs> and God cares about us too. Um, and there, there's a really nice summary of the reasons why the Northern Kingdom fell in Second Kings 17 verses 7 through 23. I'm just going to highlight one of them, that, uh, one verse in there that that speaks of the prophets. Verse 13. Uh, it kind of outlines all the sins of of Israel, how they turned to other gods and what basically worshipped anything else that moved, but and um, but in verse 13, it says, Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes in accordance with all the law that I commanded your fathers and that I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. So here you see that there are several roles 
that the prophets have. One was to remind them to call for repentance, to call for them to turn from evil ways, to identify sin, and then also to um, to communicate uh, the will of God. Those are a couple of, of roles that Second Kings here says that the prophets filled. Yep. Yeah, it's uh, and that's that's a really interesting text. Um, we'll probably come back to that um, as we progress through this class because it really is Second uh, Kings, as you mentioned, seven Second Kings seventeen seven through twenty three is a great concise summary of why the North fell, uh, and that's a good you know good warning for us uh, to kind of heed. Um, so, so you know there. There's a lot more we could talk about. There's a lot of other interesting things and other interesting characters going on. Um, you know, the other one of the other guys that comes up in the Bible is uh, this king Sennacherib. He's the one that comes in. He completely destroys Babylon, wipes it down, and then you know starts attacking Judah. Um, and he's the one that he comes to take uh, Jerusalem, and that's where you see Hezekiah and Isaiah and that interaction. Where it's a really beautiful story. Where Hezekiah yeah. just spreads out this letter of aggression from yep. uh, from Assyria and says, "God, I, this is too big for me. Can you handle that?" Yeah, uh, I, I really like that example. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So you get you that whole picture, you know. And that's where you see with Hezekiah, you know, that whole that uh, that story that. That's what God wanted to happen in the north. That's right. You know, but yeah. that that moment never came up north. And that's what He still wants today, right? When we have right. when we have problems and difficulties, um, you know, things that just are overwhelming to us, just lay them out before God and yep. say, God, this you you I can't do this, but you can. Yeah. Show me the way. Yep. So, and then uh, after Sennacherib, you you start to get this period of decline in Assyria, and eventually that's overlapped with uh, the rise of Babylon. Uh, Nabopolassar in 626, um, they free Babylon from the Assyrians, and then shortly thereafter, they raise up an army, they, you know, get an alliance with the Medes, and then that's where they conquer Asher, they conquer Nineveh in 612, which that's what, that event is what Nahum is foretelling, is uh, as Nabopolassar uh, is extending Babylon. And then, of course, uh, it was his son, Nebuchadnezzar, that we're going to be uh, very familiar with when we get into the other group of prophets and we start talking about the South. Uh, but that's for uh, another episode, another time. Um, so, again, I think uh, for me anyways, digging into this history has been you know, both very, very fascinating, um, but it's also been really, really interesting because it's, it's given me a good sense of just trying to put these prophets like in their place, in their time, what it was like. And so I hope, you know, as you've been listening through this, I know, you know, it's, we joked, you know, it, if, if there's one thing you don't want to do when you're starting a, a new podcast, it's just start with the minor prophets. And I think, you know, probably the second rule is if you're going to do that, definitely, definitely, definitely don't start with the Syrian history. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, again, it's, it really is to me anyways helpful because now you see when you come to Hosea, you come to Amos, you come to Micah, you know that they're prophesying at a time of peace. You know that, you know, the thought of Assyria right now, that's not on anyone's mind. They've just kind of completely drifted. Yeah, Assyria is not, Assyria is our problem for our fathers, not for us yep. not anymore. That's, yeah. you're, you're old fashioned, you're behind the times. Yeah, and, and Babylon is definitely like nowhere on anyone's radar. Why are it's we just talking a, about yeah, Babylon? <laughs> exactly. Um, and and it's, I, I think that, that knowing, you know, it's, it's easier to imagine what it would be like to live in those times or right. to actually be, be these prophets or to be someone hearing the message of these prophets in, in real life, in real time. Uh, they're more than just a two-dimensional flannel graph yeah. uh, thing, right, that we had in Sunday school. If you're, you're as old as I am anyway, you, you, you might remember those. They're, they're three-dimensional. They're really pe- real people. And to imagine what it would be like in a time of prosperity to go and to, to preach that, you know, this is not right. 
Yeah. Things, things are not really good, even though you think they're good and they <laughs> seem good and they feel good. No, they're not. Yep. Um, and we need to change our ways or we're in big trouble. That, that's a really countercultural message mm-hmm. that God called these prophets to do. And um, one of the things we want to encourage you, next, uh, the next episode we're going to dig into Hosea, the first three chapters. So as you read through that, uh, really try and put yourself in his place and imagine what what the human the human the human side of this story you know can you imagine being in his situation and having God ask you to do what He asks Hosea to do so that's that's one of the things we're going to dig into some of the biographical information about Hosea to add another layer another right. dimension to his his prophecy yeah and and also too as you're doing that the other question this goes for all the prophets but you know ask yourself as you're reading through this what does this teach us about God what do we learn about God about his character about what's important to him. Uh, about what things, you know, really, you know, bother him and, and you know, maybe some of the things that, uh, you know, aren't as big of a deal. But it's having that perspective, uh, and you really see that uh, as you read through some of these books. And we'll definitely get a—there's some amazing pictures of God in those—just in those first three chapters of Hosea that That's we're going right. to get to talk about. So I'm excited. I hope you join us. Uh, again, thanks for uh, sitting with us thanks, today. And, thanks for sticking with us through yeah. the history. <laughs> and uh, All right. we'll uh, talk to you next time. All right. Take care. God bless.